And now, our feature presentation. Israel, the land of milk and honey, promised in antiquity, delivered in 1948. And Israel shall be a proverb among all peoples. Across the deserts of Sinai, a biblical prophecy comes to pass as the forces of Israel sweep on in an astonishing triumph of strategy. Let my people go. Stay standing. Lives are mine, are mine, are mine. All that they own is mine. Welcome to this episode of The Soul Trap, or as we're going to call it, The Soul Class. We are so glad to have you with us, and today we're going to be talking and teaching the first part of a series that we're going to be doing on the nation of Israel. Now you might think that's sort of just a Sunday school, kind of a biblical to uh, topic, but the reality is the nation of Israel has tentacles into so much of what we talk about here. When you start talking about demonology, you're going to run into the subject of Israel. When you start talking about secret societies, cabals, and who's running the world, you're going to run into the nation of Israel. When you start talking about UFOs, extraterrestrials, altered dimensions, inner dimensions, you're going to run into the nation of Israel at some point in your study. And when you start talking about the nature of earth, or the economy, or all of these different things, at some point, you are going to find yourself terminating your study somehow, some way connected to the nation of Israel. We're going to begin this series today talking about some of the current events, or I should say maybe the current postmodern history of the nation of Israel. But we're also going to be covering in the near future some of the past history of Israel and the differences between the southern tribes and the northern tribes and how some of those kings have an influence on our shall I say, paranormal experiences today. We're also going to be talking about the lost 10 tribes of Israel. Where are they? Especially given that we just had this coronation event take place over in England, and some would argue that that is where the 10 tribes of Israel ended up. But for today, we're going to be talking about what we have on the board here today. And we're talking about the nation of Israel really beginning from the cross and running to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, God is in the business of revealing himself. That's a very important premise that we begin with. God reveals himself, and there are several ways in which God reveals himself. One of the ways that's most obvious and most common is what's often referred to as general revelation, and that is that God reveals himself to us in creation. Scriptures tell us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's exactly where the denial of God begins. It begins in the heart. You might be a listener and maybe you're atheistic or maybe you're questioning agnostic. You don't know. The truth of the matter is there is enough general revelation for you to know that there is a God and that you are accountable to him. In fact, there is no such thing as a natural atheist. Atheism is a construct that has been developed by higher education and philosophy. But no matter where you go around the world, whether it's monotheistic or polytheistic, every single people group, every anthropological group of human beings knows that there is something above them, a dimension above them. Well, as Bible believers and as followers of the Judeo-Christian ethic, we clearly know that there is a God and he has revealed himself 
Scriptures say the heavens declare the handiwork of God. We can look at the sun, we can look at the stars, we can look at the moon and watch its circuit around the earth. And we can see that there is a God in the order, cosmologically, teleologically, anthropologically, philosophically, etymologically, you get the idea. You know the thing. But all the ologies combined tell us that there's something out there. There is a God. And so God has revealed himself to us in creation. He's also revealed himself to us in conscience. The fact that you know right and wrong tells us that there is a conscience given to us by God. A lion kills a zebra, he has no conscience of it whatsoever. He simply kills to eat. But when you and I commit right or wrong, we are instantly aware of that right or wrong because God, the Bible says, has written his law upon our heart. Now to be sure, our conscience can be seared. All you have to do is look at our modern political system and our politicians to know that you can sear and harden that conscience. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. But when you're born, you are born with an innate sense of right and wrong, and that is given to you by God. And so God reveals himself to us in creation, reveals himself to us in conscience. As Christians, we would argue that he reveals himself to us in the scripture, and that is a term that the theologians call special revelation. It's not just general, it's special. And when you look at the 66 books of the King James Bible, you find an amazing uniformity. You find an amazing connectivity. Over 40 different authors written over 1,500 different years, all of the different subjects, all of the different branches, all of the different opportunities for error, and yet there's not one provable error or contradiction in the Bible. Jordan Peterson called it the first hypertext, and it is true. When you look at the Bible, the hyperconnectivity is beyond what a human being could come up with especially giving all the dynamics that go into it. So, when we're looking around, we can look up and see there is a God. We can look in and see there is a God. We can look at the Bible and see there is a God. We are beginning now even to bridge into the other dimension and see that dimensionally there is a God. Quantum physics, quantum mechanics, quantum astrology, qu quantum astronomy, quantum biology. The quantum world is pushing the veil, as we so often talk about here at the Soul Trap. It is pushing the veil, and quantum science, I would argue, in examples like light and what that light does, tell us that there is something on the other side. I have often quoted a uh, physicist who said, we know that there is something on the other side, we just don't know how to get to it. Well, we do. As Christians, we do know that there is something on the other side, or rather, someone. And so what I'm saying is, is that nobody can ever face God one day and say, I didn't know that you existed. You have creation, you have your conscience, you have the Bible, you have quantum uh, science that is now telling us there is more than meets the eye. And ultimately, one of the greatest revelations of God is in the nation of Israel. That's right. God has embedded in the nation of Israel a huge, universal, galactic-sized neon light that says, I'm here. Nobody can look at the history of the nation of Israel. Nobody can look at the nuances of the nation of Israel, at its experience and its survival and its fulfillment of prophecy and walk away and say there is no God. 
It is an amazing revelation, this nation of Israel. And so we talk about the nation of Israel here, and of course there is a large expanse that we could cover. But for this particular lesson here, we're going to be talking about a narrow set of time perimeters from the cross to what we would call modern times. Now, the truth of the matter is, when we go through some of these facts, the facts cannot be denied. You may deny the conclusion of the facts, but you will not be able to deny the facts. In fact, the things I'm going to be talking about right now, I could go into just about any college anywhere in America, anywhere in the world, and I could follow this line of facts and they could not deny it historically. And that is an important point to remember. Sometimes at the soul trap, we can get so far on the edge that we fail to remember that what we believe is rooted in time, space, reality. It is rooted in historical facts, in tangible, provable, touchable, in many instances, reality. And so somebody who would deny God or an atheist or somebody who just denies the Bible, they may deny the conclusions that we draw from these facts, but they cannot deny the facts. These are facts, and facts don't care about your feelings. And I submit to you that it is the facts of the nation of Israel that prove to us that there is a God. And it is the facts of Israel that not only prove that there is a God, but proves there is a God that is involved in the very warp and woof of the day-to-day -day affairs of men. In other words, we are not deists. We do not believe that God wound the clock and lets it unwind. No, we are not Calvinists in the sense that every single nuance is predetermined by God and man has no free will. But there are certain fixed points at which God leads and directs. And because we believe that according to the Bible, that means that we have a road map. We can see from where we have come, where we are now, and most importantly, with prophecy, with the end of the world, with China, with Taiwan, with the one world currency that is just around the corner, we can see where we're going. So let's dive in for a few minutes on this subject of Israel and prophecy. And to do so, we must actually go 600 years prior to the cross and prior to Jesus to a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And we find a very interesting prophecy in the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 11. Ezekiel states at roughly around 594 BC, almost 600 years before the cross, that God spoke to him in a prophecy and said, Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Now that is a fascinating prophecy, and it is not a one-off. He states it again in chapter 28, verse 25. And again in chapter 34, verse 13. And again in chapter 36, verse 24. You can also find very similar prophecies in the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah. And in fact, you can go even almost a thousand years prior to the book of Deuteronomy, way on off the blackboard here where God said, this is what's going to happen. What is going to happen? He said, I'm going to kick you off the land, scatter you to the winds, but... At a certain date, at a certain point in this fixed plan of God, I will begin to gather you back to your homeland. Now, it's very important to understand that when the children of Israel came out 
of Egypt, their relationship to God was based on a set of covenants, promises, we could say. Covenants, maybe the layman's terminology, would simply be a deal, a promise that God would make with the nation of Israel. The most famous one that he made and the initial one that he made with Israel is what we call the Abrahamic covenant, made way back here in time, even before they were in, in Egypt. That's where God said, I'll bless them that bless you and curse him that curseth you. That is what we call an unconditional covenant, an unconditional promise. There was nothing for Israel to keep. All they had to do was rejoice in the promise that God said, I will bless, I will prosper, I will make of Abraham a great nation, and God did that. But some of the promises of God, some of the covenants of God, were conditional. And when the children of Israel came out, there were two primary covenants that they had that were conditional. The first is the covenant of Moses, or the law. The children of Israel were blessed individually through the covenant of Moses and the law. And you can find that in Exodus chapter number 19 and Exodus chapter 20. We're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but there are well over 600 commands, and each of those can be broken down in many different instances. So you had that initial covenant. Then the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, were given the Mosaic covenant, but there was a second covenant that often gets overlooked, and we're going to call that the covenant of the land. Uh, some writers have called it the Palestinian covenant. But what it was, was a promise that was based on a condition. That the only way that the children of Israel could occupy the land safely was for them to be right with God. In other words, that initial personal covenant with Moses had to be kept so that they could enjoy the blessings of the land covenant and they could be in that land that flowed with milk and honey. Now, the condition was this. God would bless them. God would defeat their enemies. And you read about that with the likes of Joshua and Gideon and Samson and Caleb and all of those things. God would bless them and prosper them and drive out the Canaanites, which, by the way, were cannibalistic, which were wicked, pedophile. I mean, it was an awful, awful place. So God would bless the nation of Israel if they kept their end. Their end was to keep the Sabbath. Their end was to be holy. Their end was to be right. And if they weren't, God said, I will warn you. I will plague you. I will chasten you. But at some point, I will kick you off of the land. Now, that is exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Remember, we haven't even gotten to the board yet. We haven't even gotten to modern history. We're still talking about sort of Old Testament off the blackboard material. That's exactly what happened. At some point in the history of Israel, as you're reading your Bible, the nation broke off into two, the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes. The northern were referred to as Samaria or Ephraim. The southern two tribes were Judah, where we get the term Jew, Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes in the north were carried away captive into Assyria. Some believe never to be seen again. Some believe that, well, we'll digress and we'll not digress. We can get off track there. But needless to say, the ten tribes were carried away. <clears throat> but the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they were carried away. They were carried away to Babylon. Babylon. 
And there in Babylon, they spent 70 years. And if you're reading your Bible, the Bible walks you through that. They were there for 70 years until God began to give them the promise that he would return them to the land. And he did so. Under the men like Joshua, the second Joshua, not the first, Zerubbabel, Ezra, a more familiar name, Nehemiah, a very familiar name. And so they did. They came back, they rebuilt, and they were fairly established in the land, though often under oppression. And that's where the Bible runs into basically the book of Malachi and 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Then Jesus comes on the scene. And as Jesus comes on the scene, as their promised Messiah, simply put, they rejected him. They rejected him and they said, his blood be upon us and our children. And what they did as a nation, not as individuals, but what they did as a nation was they placed themselves at that point under a curse of darkness, of blindness, and ultimately ejection from the land. And that is where we come to the blackboard now and the modern history of Israel. The modern history of Israel now becomes very, very important. Because at this point, what we just read in the book of Ezekiel, you can see right now on your screen these scripture verses. In the book of Ezekiel, this is post them being kicked out under Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, the promise in Ezekiel is for a future regathering. A future regathering. God said, I'm going to kick you out, but... I will gather you once again and establish you in my land. The question is, if we can look to the skies and see God's truth, if we can look to our conscience and see God's truth, if we can look to quantum physics and see God's truth, can we look to the prophecies of the Bible and see that God is true and real? The short answer, the reason I'm talking to you, is yes, we can. And modern history shows it. And may I say to you, that you and I are living it. So what happened? In, the, in Christ's day, they rejected him. They rejected their Messiah. In fact, they rejected him when he was born. You remember, they wouldn't even go look to see where he was born. They rejected him in his ministry, and in his ministry, they rejected him in his death. They even rejected him in his immediate post-resurrection. And then the final rejection seems to come right around chapter number 7 and 8 with Stephen. They rejected him in total. They rejected Christ. And then again, in Acts chapter number 28, if you were reading the Bible, you will find that one last time in Acts chapter 28, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the leaders, the rulers of the Jewish nation. And the Bible says that some believed and some believe not. It doesn't even seem to imply that it was a real heartfelt, life-changing belief. It was simply, I kind of believe your story, I kind of don't. And the nation of Israel, for all intents and purposes, rejected their Messiah. We know him as Yeshua, as Jesus. Now, in AD 70, something took place as a result of that. Jesus, you remember, stated in Matthew 24 that there was coming a day when no stone would be left unturned in the nation of Israel, particularly Jerusalem. You remember, he was on the side of the mountain and he wept, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together? And now their house was left desolate. 
In AD 70, <clears throat> their Roman general Titus surrounded the nation, particularly Jerusalem, and leveled it to the ground. That's not figurative speaking. In fact, it was so leveled that when the children of Israel begin to eventually make their way back, nobody could tell you where the temple was. Oh, we know it was on the Temple Mount. Maybe, maybe not. No stone was left upon another. The city was leveled. The city was leveled, and at this point right here, the Jewish people ceased to exist as a sovereign state. That had really only happened one time before under Babylon's oppression and Nebuchadnezzar. But even then, there was still a remnant that was left. There was still a small, tiny, figurative statehood left, but not now. At this point in AD 70, nothing was left. And what you see is the children of Israel, the Jewish people, being scattered to the four winds. And from here is what is called the dispersa, the dispersion of the children of Israel. You can find them in Ethiopia, Africa, Spain, which if you read the book of Romans is one of the reasons why Paul wanted to go to Spain. You can find them in Great Britain and the Isles of Britain. You can find them in Russia, Gog and Magog, Turkey, China, Baghdad. You find them going everywhere and anywhere. A huge portion of them went to Gaul, the Galatians, uh, and there they went into France and into Germany, ultimately into Europe. And so the children of Israel in AD 70 were scattered to the four winds exactly as God had said would happen. Now, as this was going on, God's work with the church, the body of Christ, began in earnest. As he set Israel aside for the time being, not forever, but for the time being, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ began to go forward predominantly Gentile. Now, very important point here. The church is not exclusively Gentile because the church is based on the message of the gospel for whosoever will. Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, man or woman, it does not matter. So there were, if you look at our chart, Jews that entered into the church. A Jew? Yeah. In fact, all of the writers of the New Testament were Jews. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. But it was predominantly a Gentile church that went. And from roughly AD 70, to roughly the late 1800s and into the early 1900s, you have the Jews hiding out wherever they could and the church moving forward. And I use the term hiding out because one of the most awful testimonies to Satan and to the powers of darkness and to the judgment of God has been the persecution of the children of Israel. Now, a side note. Years ago, when Mel Gibson did his movie, The Passion of the Christ, there is a scene where they say, we'll have no king but Jesus. They ask him if he's the son of God, and he said, thou sayest, and the high priest rents his garment. It is rumored, and you would have to Google this and do the research, but it is rumored that because, to some degree, Mel Gibson was a Catholic, he knew a little bit about his Bible, and he included in the line there, where they said, his blood be upon us and on our children. 
Because of fear of anti-Semitism, that was taken out. Well, whether that was true or not, and you would have to do the research, that is exactly what happened. They brought upon themselves the curse of breaking the covenant that we talked about and of the rejection of their Messiah. And when you look at the persecution of the Jews, it is a bloody, long, vicious, wicked affair of anti-Semitism. Now, let me digress here. Maybe you're watching and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're like, okay, man, this stuff is kind of boring and blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to tell you something. Have you ever asked yourself why there is anti-Semitism? Has that ever crossed your mind that we all kind of squabble as human beings? The blacks and the whites, the Asians and the Hispanics, the Hispanics and the blacks, the Asians and the whites. I mean, we're all kind of... But have you ever stopped to ponder that the one group of people that all other groups of people can hate are Jews? Why is that? Could it be that there's something spiritual there? Well, the answer is yes, there is. Now, for 2,000 years, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, have been scattered. But God gave them not only a promise of a curse, but God gave them a promise of hope. You find many times this reference, but one of the clearest references is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49 states, verse 11, And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far. And lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Did you see that? He said, there's coming a day when I'm going to begin, though they have been scattered, I'm going to begin to draw them back to what? The land. Have you ever wondered why America has such problems? One of the reasons we have such problems is because we keep messing around with this stupid idea of land for peace in the Middle East. We keep cutting deals with Egypt and the PLO and Syria. And my dear friend, all of that land belongs to the nation of Israel. And whenever you mess with that, you're messing with God's land. If you'll go back and check the original covenant in Genesis chapter 12, it's centered around a land. God said to Abraham, I'll give you the land. The first time the word holy shows up in the Bible is when God said to Moses, take your shoes off for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And so God said to the nation of Israel, I am going to begin to draw you back to your land. And little by little, trickle by trickle, that began to happen. You started seeing that happen in the north quite a bit as Jews begin to make their way back down from the Ukraine, from uh, the Bavarian nations, from the Balkan areas, from Russia, from Gog and Magog. They begin to matriculate their way back down. You begin to see that in the east, coming back from uh, Baghdad and some of those different places in Saudi Arabia and others. You begin to see that in the south. There have even been Jews that have made their way back up from Ethiopia and from the west. Ah, the West. As the children of Israel, as the Jews were dispersed for 2,000 years, they could find no safe haven. Nowhere could they go where they were not persecuted nationally. Nowhere. Except one place. There was one place that the children of Israel were able to go, 
and not be persecuted institutionally. It was a very strange place. It was a strange place, a land of the Gentiles, unlike any other land that had ever been before. It was a land that we have come to know as USA. But when you look very closely, you can see that there might have been more involved than first meets the eye. This USA was a haven for the people of Jerusalem. And as they came, they found safety. So, they're coming from the east, they're coming from the south, they're coming from the north, and many of them begin to make their way back to the west. But it was slowly, undercover, secretive. And even when they got back to the promised land, they were in persecution. Until, until much like the lion of the tribe of Judah, another Gentile country that had a lion, a griffin to be more specific, as its uh, motto, by the name of England or Great Britain, they had a prime minister and a movement called Zionism. There were Jews there. In fact, one of the prime ministers, one of the most famous and powerful prime ministers was a guy by the name of Benjamin Disraeli. And there became a movement to be able to seat the children of Israel back in their land. This movement was called Zionism. And at the end of World War I, there was an act called the Balfour Act, which allowed Jews to go back to the land. Now, what's fascinating about history is that who controlled the land were the Ottoman Turks, Muslims. And yet they were defeated at the hands of England, Lawrence of Arabia, and way was made by the nation of England and Jeru USA Lim. They made a way for the Jews to begin to come back legally. Now don't forget, way back here, God said in Ezekiel, I'm going to scatter you, but I'm going to draw you again. They were scattered to the four winds, and yet God, operative on the stage of human history, begins to draw them back. And these two superpowers, which really, as Gentile nations, are pretty much as anti-Semitic as anybody else, for some reason, they take it upon themselves the burden to begin to reestablish Israel, much like another king did in the Bible by the name of Cyrus and Darius in Persia. My dear friend, there is a God, and he is not just operative in Sunday school and in your morning devotions. He is the one controlling the White House. He is the one controlling the Senate. He is the one in charge of the Ukraine. He is the one running all things, directing all things after the counsel of his own will. Well, the children of Israel begin to move back, and because of the Balfour Act, they're able to go back legally, but not nationally. There's still no place. There's still no state. For 2,000 years, the Jews have been without a state. That is, until World War II. And a man by the name of Hitler, who some people believe was Jewish. Bob Jones Sr. once said, and he was an old preacher, he said World War I prepared the Jew for the land. World War II prepared the world for the Jew. In essence, in World War, at World War 
two, what you had was the defeat of the Axis powers. And for the first time in 1948, there was now a land for the Jews to call home. There's a story that a Christian was standing before the Tsar. The Tsar looked at him and said, Can you prove to me that there is a God? The Christian said, The Jew. He's not far off. No other country, no other people group, no one has ever been able to claim what the Jewish people have been able to claim. Scattered to the four winds, hated by all of the Gentile nations, and yet it is the very Gentile nations that gave them their land back. And in 1948, they set foot back on the soil that they had been gone from for 2,000 years. Now, everything that I have said up until this point cannot be denied factually. You can argue with the outcome. You can say it was luck, it was politics, it was geopolitics, it was happenstance, yada, 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 yada. But you cannot deny these facts. It's simply the conclusions. Your conclusion, if you reject the Bible, is that all of these things simply coincidentally happened to produce something that has never happened before in human history. Or you can say there is a God. In 1948, they took control and became an independent state. Now, that didn't sit well. The Islamic Arab nations around them begin to fight, and that fight has been going on. The next really big war that you're going to see that takes place is the Six-Day War that took place in 1967. Six days because God rested on the seventh. If you've never studied it, you ought to study the Six-Day War. If you'd like a book recommendation, I'll try to put it in the comment section below, or you can reach out to us. There's some great books on there. But there were five, six multiple nations that came against Israel. They were absolutely defeated. And because of this war, in 1948, when Israel came back, they had access to their land, but they did not have access to their capital, Jerusalem. But in the Six-Day War, under Moshe Dayan and the great leaders, they were able to actually march back into Jerusalem. They had not been there as a people, as a state, for 2,000 years. The last time a governmental ruling body of the nation of Israel was in Jerusalem was in A.D. 70. When Titus laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, reports were that the bodies were stacked up so high you could see them over the wall. And here it is, all these years later, and they are now back in their capital city of Jerusalem. Well, the war goes on. In 1974, there was the war of Yom Kippur. In the 80s, there was the war with Lebanon and Hezbollah. And of course, there's the PLO, the famous, the infamous PLO and Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian people. There is no such thing as Palestinian people. Do research, study, don't believe CNN, don't believe Fox. The Palestinian people are not Palestinian people. There was never a land called or a country called Palestine. They are refugees and terrorists that are being used as pawns in a game. And so the war raged on. But Israel has gotten stronger, gotten richer. The problem is, there was still some confusion. Because the rest of the world, and predominantly the most powerful country in the world, Jeru USA, Lem, 
only recognized Tel Aviv as the capital. It's not that they didn't recognize Israel's right to be in Jerusalem, but they didn't want to cause problems with the Arabs. They didn't want to cause problems with the Muslims. And so Tel Aviv was their capital until a Catholic-backed, loudmouth New York businessman by the name of the last Trump. I'm sorry, that was a Freudian slip. By the name of Donald Trump came along. And under his presidential administration, he made the USA to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of the nation of Israel. Fascinating. So what's so fascinating about it? Because God told you in Ezekiel almost 600 years before any of this happened that this is how it's going to happen. He told you in Isaiah that this is how it's going to happen. Not just how it's going to happen, but they're going to come from which direction first. He told you how it was going to take place. And here you have England who produced a King James Bible. And that King James Bible and that land recognized Israel. The greatest nation on the nation in the planet. The greatest nation of, uh, in all of the world. Jerusalem, USA, Lamb. They recognized the nation of Israel and Jerusalem as the capital. So what's next? Well, what happened to Donald Trump? In 2020, everybody got confused. Well, there was a little thing called the Abraham Accord. You ought to research the Abraham Accords. <clears throat> because remember what I said, land is an issue with God. That whole land belongs to the nation of Israel. And Trump and his administration probably made the most fatal mistake you possibly could. You mean listening to Fauci? Because I represent science. No, that's the second most fatal mistake. Their first fatal mistake was in messing around with God's plan. And so out he had to go. And so here we are. Now, watch it. Remember the church? As this has been happening, the church has been moving forward. But we are right at the end of this time period. And as Israel is beginning to go up, the church is starting to go out. The next thing for us, Jew and Gentile, whoever is saved and born again, is the rapture of the church and we're out. And what will begin to take place is the tribulation period. That tribulation period will take place or Daniel's 70th week. At the end of Daniel's 70th week, the Jews now have their land, have their capital, they will have their temple because of the Antichrist, but you know what they're missing? They're going to have their prophet 144,000 of them. They're going to have their priest. You must have one because you're going to have a temple. But what they're missing is a king. They haven't really had a great king since Solomon. Remember, let's go full circle. Remember there was a covenant that was the Mosaic covenant. Remember there was a covenant that was the covenant of the land. Well, there was one other covenant during that time period, way back off the board, and it was called the Davidic covenant. God told David that he would give him an heir to sit on the throne. David is way back here, but right about here, about 33 years before the cross, there was a king born, and you know him as Jesus. 
He is ascended up into heaven. But at the end of the tribulation period, the king is coming back to take what is rightfully his. And everything is setting up for that. They have their land. They have their city. They'll have their temple. They'll have their sacrifices. All they're waiting for is their king to come. And I believe that's going to start very, very soon. So why are we taking the time to show all this? Because we are not living in a closed environment. We are living in a world in which the God of heaven is directing and leading and guiding. And he rules, the Bible says, in the kingdom of heaven and in the kingdom of men. You can look to the sky and see that there is a God. You can look to your heart and see that there is a God. You can look at quantum science and see that there is a God. You can look at that Bible and see that there is a God. But you can also look at the nation of Israel and see that there is a God in heaven directing all things. And you and I are right here. That's where we are. We are years Months, days, hours away from the next event on God's calendar, the rapture taking place. Israel is poised. Watch the temple. Watch the nuclear buildup. Watch China and the kings of the east aligning themselves. Watch the new world order, some of which are actually led by rogue Jews. But you watch it all unfold. And then when you turn the news off at night, when you shut your phone off, then you watch your Bible. That Bible is more up to date than any news program on the face of this earth. It is God that dispersed them. It is God that brought them back. It is God that is in control. We live in very, very exciting times because we're seeing it unfold. Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinai. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted.